Hi, everyone. It's Cordia Clark-White and Dr. Scott Terry. We're back with you. Hi. Let's talk about your health. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about fibroids, something that's very common. It's actually, I would say by by menopause, probably 80% of us women deal with fibroids, which are essentially benign tumors. Um, How often you see it, Tony? Um, I see it very frequently. Um, Even though it's pretty common, everybody doesn't always have symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest thing is to when to treat, when not to treat, when do you have to, um, and then just giving you guys some options because the hysterectomy is not the first option anymore. (laughs) It's definitely not the only option. And a lot of times people say, if they're not bothering you, you, we don't bother them. But there are some reasons, even if they're not bothering you, we should do something like depending on where they're located. And if you're trying to get pregnant later on, because even if it's small and it's not bothering you, it can be inside the cavity of the uterus and they can grow pretty big and they can interfere with getting pregnant. They can interfere once you're pregnant. So those are all things that we want to talk about today. So maybe let's just start talking about what they are. So they are benign tumors. They can be located anywhere in the uterus, in the cavity of the uterus, in the body of the uterus, or just kind of hanging out on the outside of the uterus. I usually tell patients if they're just kind of hanging out on the outside and they're small, you're probably not going to have symptoms unless they start to compress the surrounding organs. They can compress your bladder your um, your bowel, um, anything, and start causing problems with that. Once they're in the body of the uterus and start going into the cavity, that's when you start having symptoms, um, pressure, pain, bleeding symptoms. Um, so that's when the patient usually seeks help. So I have found, because um, there's a lot of patients who have come in just for their routine exams. So people will ask, well, hey, why do I need to come in every year to have a routine exam? Because a lot of times we find the fibroids just on your exam. Everyone doesn't have symptoms. So for instance, I have a fibroid. (laughs) I think I have everybody, everything that we talk about, but I have a fibroid. It was six centimeters. It has never bothered me. I was diagnosed with it when I had my first child, but it doesn't bother me. So, and once again, it depends on, like Dr. Clark White said, where it is. Um, For those who are having heavy periods, that may be one of the things that we look for to see whether or not you actually have fibroids, because there are lots of different ways to treat it. And it depends on what your plans are for future fertility, um, what kind of symptoms it's, it's causing, and what you want to do about it and also how close you are to menopause. So we can kind of start off, um, Dr. White, kind of tell, saying like how you counsel your, your, your patients regarding fibroids. So it depends on the patient, like Dr. Gary said, and it depends on what she wants. Um, and it depends on where it's located. But I always talk about Of course, we don't have to do anything if it's not bothering you and it's not going to interfere with anything in life with getting pregnant or interfere once you get pregnant. Um, So 
there's always the option of just observing or just watching if you don't have any symptoms. And then if you have symptoms, it depends on what your symptoms are. Is it just bleeding? Is it just pain? Is it a combination of pain and bleeding? And then we start with different medical management. So we start, there's medical management, then there's surgery, um, there's um, minor surgery, then there's major surgery, and then definitive. Definitive is always a hysterectomy, but like Dr. Terry said, we don't always need to do a hysterectomy, but as long as you have a uterus, whatever you do for your fibroids, they can come back. So when I start with medical management, I always start with things that can help control bleeding. So let's say the fibroid is small or it's just in the wall, but you're having bleeding problems from it. You're having bleeding in between your periods. You're having heavier periods. We can use an IUD. If the fibroid is not obstructing the cavity of the uterus, it's not getting in the way for us to place an IUD where it's going to help uh, make the IUD expel or come out. We can use an IUD if it's just bleeding. IUD stops bleeding most of the time. Most people don't have a period at all or they just have a little spotting with it. Um, there are different medications that are out that you can take by mouth. Um, what was the one we were just talking about, Tony? The it's, or it's Orion. And it's a newer medication um, that came out maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, um, which actually is specific for heavy bleeding with uterine fibroids. But I've even done things such as if there's something called Lysteta, um, which also helps with heavy bleeding, whether it's fibroids or not. I've seen some improvement with that. Um, with Lysteta, though, I always tell my patients they have to keep the medication on them. It works best if you start taking it as soon as you start bleeding. And um, so a lot of times if you don't have it on you, it's 12 hours later, it usually doesn't work as well. Sometimes it does, but it works best if you start taking it as soon as you start bleeding. The other thing with Lysted is that you do have to take it three times a day. Um, so, you know, there's pluses and minuses with that. It's not a hormone. Um, so some people don't want to be on any hormones. And so that may be one mm -hmm. option. Um, I've also found that people who do less carbs and sugar tend to have less bleeding with their fibroids and they don't tend to grow. No, I'm not saying that they won't grow, but it doesn't tend to grow as much um, or as quick or as big, usually, if that's kind of your diet. Um, what causes it? Do we know 100%? No, but we think it's re re related to estrogen stimulation because after menopause, a lot of the times the fibroids will decrease in size. Um, but getting back to what Dr. Clark White was saying was that um, the Orion, the Lysetta, those are some of the medications that we can use. You can also use um, birth, any type of hormone. So whether it's an IUD, whether or not it is um, pills, ring, um, you can do it that will actually decrease the bleeding that you may have. But I usually, for anyone who's over 35 who's having heavy or irregular bleeding, I do what it's called a hysteroscopy. So it's looking inside the uterus with a camera and I do a biopsy. And it's just to make sure that there are no abnormal cells. The majority of the time, it's just strictly related to the fibroids. We want to make sure that there's nothing else that's going on as well. Because I've seen people with fibroids and with polyps, endometrial polyps inside the lining of the uterus that can cause some bleeding as well. What do you normally do, Dr. Clark White? 
I definitely do the um, in-office hysteroscopy as well. Um, we're finding that, um, like she said, you can have polyps, which is an overgrowth of the lining of the uterus on the inside. And sometimes just removing those can help with the bleeding. Sometimes you can find a piece of the fibroid and remove that as well, or the whole fibroid. But whether or not I find something to remove, especially if they're 35 and older, even if they're younger, and they're obese or overweight, I still do a biopsy um, to make sure no precancer or cancer is going on. Um, so that's an option as well for the fibroids at the same time with the hysteroscopy. Yeah. Um, so I guess, so let's start with maybe just going through the non-invasive and then kind of moving to some of the other larger procedures that we can kind of get into. So I usually tell them, depending on where it's located, like Dr. Terry said, we sometimes we can remove them with the hysteroscopy if part of it or all of it is in the cavity of the uterus. I also talk about something called a uterine artery embolization or uterine fibroid embolization, but we don't do that. It's usually um, an interventional radiologist that does it. Some places, um, interventional cardiologists may do it. But what that procedure is, um, it's a non-invasive procedure where they go through and they turn, they cut off or they block the blood supply to the fibroid. So over time, the fibroid um, decreases in time. You might even, I'm sorry, decreases in size and, my, and it cuts off the blood supply so you don't bleed as much for it. And you can even expel the fibroid through the vagina depending on how big it is. But with that, we have to do what's called um, an MRI first because we have to map where the blood is um, supplying to the fibroids. And then you do a consult with the uterine artery embolization. I usually tell the patient um, that even though um, it's not regarded as a form of contraception or a form of not being able to get pregnant, you should be done with fertility um, if you wanna have this. And usually we have, we follow up with the patient because you're not gonna follow up with the interventional radiologist. It seems like it's not as, po um, as popular as it was when it first came out. What do you think, Dr. Terry? Um, I still have people who, who have it done. It, it, it doesn't seem to be as many people. Um, the one thing I will will say, and I tell people this up front, is that it is it does not get rid of the fibroids. It, it shrinks the fibroids because you're decreasing the blood supply to it. Um, for anybody who's planning to have, or, or if you're considering at all having more kids, I do not recommend it because the purpose of that procedure is to decrease the blood supply to your uterus. So you want to make sure that you have adequate supply when you do try to conceive. Um, but so one of the things I'll tell people is that it doesn't happen immediately. They have to do, because they, they will have you come back and do a follow-up ultrasound or a follow-up MRI to see the size of the fibroid and how much it has shrunk. Um, but that process can take anywhere from three to six months. So it's just you being aware. A lot of the times it does decrease the bleeding. Um, but you know, I've, I've seen it's not a hundred percent and you just have to know that going in. And I, I would probably say most people have maybe a couple of days of pain. Um, are you finding that they're keeping people overnight? Cause when I've sent people, they usually give them an epidural or something for pain that numbs them mm -hmm. and they keep them overnight. 
They don't, I haven't seen where they keep them overnight. Just that's routine, but I have seen where they do, but it hasn't been routine. Uh -huh. um, I know they do quote in the literature that the rate of return to whatever the problem was you were having, however your bleeding was, it can be up to 20 to 30% within two years. Um, so like Dr. Terry said, keep in mind that um, it's not definitive. And a lot of times the symptoms do come back. So I find that my patients who are closer to menopause mm -hmm. are the ones who like it the most. Yeah. Um, 30 and 40 year olds, sometimes your body is smart. It tries to develop new blood supply. And so I've seen people who develop new fibroids, mm -hmm. um, even after having a uterine, a uterine artery embolization because the average age of menopause is 51. So if you're 35, you, you have some time to go. And so it, it may work for you for a while. It may work forever, but just be aware that it may not be a hundred percent until you're actually in menopause. Um, I will also do, uh, if I do a hysteroscopy and I see a fiber that's in the lining, sometimes I'll do the biopsy first, but I will do remove the fiber from the lining and then I'll ablate the uterus. So just burning the lining of the uterus. And that will also too kind of help with decreasing a lot of the heavy bleeding if that's what your biggest concern is. Are you doing any of that as well? I do. I do the ablation as well. Even a fibroid in the cavity up to four centimeters, sometimes I'll still do the ablation. Yeah, and I still do it. It can even shrink it. Um, yeah. Definitely because you're ablating it chances are it's not going to bleed as much anymore. So right. definitely, yeah. But if I can, I remove the fibroid first and then do the ablation. Again, you don't want to do the ablation if there's any possibility or any um, that you want to get pregnant again, because burning that lining, that's where you have implantation during pregnancy because it, uh, it can affect that process. But again, it's not, we're not saying that you can't get pregnant because we have seen people get pregnant. So if you don't want to get pregnant and you have the um, procedure done, you should still use some form of contraception. Um, so, so what have we covered? So we've covered some medical treatments. So Orion is one of the newer medications that we use to help with the heavy bleeding for uterine fibroids. Lysteta is a non-hormonal medication that also can be used to decrease some of the bleeding. And that's just bleeding in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be just fibroids. It can be heavy bleeding um, in general that, that will help decrease some of the bleeding. Um, birth control or any type of hormonal um, medication can help decrease that as well. Um, I'm big on dietary changes because I've seen actually people have improvement. One of the things that I've seen, Dr. White, is people doing more organic tampons and pads, and they have actually had less bleeding um, with that. So that's something, I'm not saying it's treating the fibroids, but it may help you with some of the bleeding if that is one of your biggest symptoms. But it is not normal to have a period every 10 days, every... 14, that, that is not normal. If that is happening to you, you need to actually go see your doctor because they need to evaluate why you're having the bleeding. Mm -hmm. I've seen also patients um, 
health and activity and exercise is huge now. Yeah. And they actually found is um, fibroids are higher. You have a higher risk of having them in us, just like everything else. First of all, African-Americans, we see them more in African-Americans and in obese patients. So losing weight can help as well. Um, hypertension, I read that they see them more in um, patients with hypertension as well. I'm not sure what that link is though. But I think part of the hypertension, and I don't know if they did a blind study with people who, based on BMI, based mm -hmm. on their weight, um, mm -hmm. because estrogen does play a role in fibroids. And so if you are more obese, if you're heavier, um, if you're overweight, estrogen gets stored in fat cells. And so that may stimulate more of the growth of uterine fibroids. Um, so that's the medical portion. <laughs> <laughs> um, just talking a little bit more about um, surgical management um, from minimally invasive to more invasive. And if you are someone who you still want to have children and you have a fibroid, if it, the fibroid is big enough, it can cause, like Dr. Clarkwise says, problems with the um, fetus implanting into the uterus, but it can also cause problems with you having a preterm delivery. And you don't want to be someone who has a 10, week, 10, 10 centimeter size fibroid and you end up delivering a 22 weeks baby. Um, so we really encourage if you know that you have large fibroids and you want to conceive, please go and see your doctor to have that fibroid removed so that decreases your risk of having a, a really premature baby. And not only that, we have seen with people have normal term babies with fibroids, but another thing they can do during pregnancy, they, they grow like really big. And a lot of times they outgrow the blood supply. And sometimes during pregnancy, we have difficulty managing that pain because it can be very painful once the fibroid outgrows that um, blood supply. So that's another issue that you can have during pregnancy. So just like Dr. Terry said, please go and have that evaluated if you plan to get pregnant. It's best to have it removed if needed before. Yeah, I've even seen it where doesn't happen often, but I've seen it where the fiber was so large that it was, was restricting growth mm -hmm. um, in the fetus. So it's not something that we really take lightly, especially for someone who is trying to conceive. Uh, we want you to have a healthy pregnancy, an easy pregnancy, so we can minimize a lot of the complications. Um, once you conceive, that is best. So like I said, if you know that you have large fibroids and you want to conceive, go and see a doctor who can remove your fibroids. I tend to, I don't, I don't do it any, I just can't do it at my hospital just because of our restrictions. But I have um, physicians that I will refer to who do them laparoscopically where they remove the fibroids um, and put them in a bag um, to remove them out of the, the abdomen. It's uh, but sometimes depending on the size of the uterus, and the size of the fibroid, you may have to have a, a bigger incision to actually remove the fibroids. So they don't let you guys morselate in the bag either? Mm -hmm. Oh. Nope. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not everywhere. <laughs> that's <laughs> just at, well, maybe not just at my hospital, but it is at my hospital. They do not allow us to morselate, which is basically taking the uterus and 
taken it out in smaller pieces so that you can have small incisions um, and your recovery is quicker. So because of that, I, I refer my patients out because unless they just absolutely want me to do it, but um, the recovery is a lot quicker, um, less pain. And most people will either go home that day or the next day. But that's just at my hospital. Dr. Clark White, I'm sure, doesn't have that issue at hers. <laughs> We're going to move on. <laughs> so we said hysteroscopic removal, um, uterine artery or uterine fibroid embolization. And then the newest, probably the newest minimally invasive is the radiofrequency ablation or the assessor. I don't do the assessor. Um, I do know a physician who does it. So if the patient is interested in that, because I give them all options, uh -huh. we go over it together, risk versus benefit. And so I will refer patients out. Um, again, for me, there's not a lot of study as far as having that procedure done in pregnancy. So I usually recommend to the patient if they know they want to get pregnant to just be careful with that because the, that, there's just not a lot of studies since it's a newer procedure out. So um, I, I've done a couple of them. So just to kind of, you know, give you a background on what it is, it's it, we do a laparoscopy. So it's making a small incision, looking in with a camera, um, and you take a probe and enter into the fibroid, and it it's supposed to kind of destroy or shrink the fibroid from within. Um, and, and I, I had a patient who she had it done. Um, she was very pleased with it because she didn't want um, to have anything excessive. She didn't want a hysterectomy. Um, she didn't really want to have a myomectomy. So, you know, we were kind of limited with what we could do because she was having significant symptoms. But that was one of the options that she chose. And she, she liked it. She had a good result. It, probably seven years later, she did end up having to have a hysterectomy. Um, and it was just because the symptoms came back, heavy bleeding, pain. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I think for some of those procedures, the closer you are to menopause, you may do better um, versus if you are in your 30s or really early 40s, you may have symptoms that may reoccur. I read something about newer procedures using the same radiofrequency ablation that you can do transvaginally, transcervically. Um, I don't know anyone that's doing it. Do you know anyone? I don't. No, mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah, but that maybe that's something newer, but I did read about that. Um, and then, you know, the last resort is, is a hysterectomy. <laughs> so, and definitive. Um, now, people start getting into the question of, if you're removing the hysterectomy, is it a partial? Is it a total? Okay, so let's be clear as far as what we're talking about when we say partial or total. When I do a hysterectomy, you can just take the uterus and leave the cervix and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries. You can take the uterus and the cervix and take out the fallopian tubes as well and leave the ovaries. You can take out all of it. Um, there have been um, newer recommendations for leaving ovaries for women who are less than 55. Is that right, Courtney? Um, I actually, I leave them up later. to 
Yeah. Yeah. Because there's still, even though you may be having symptoms of menopause, there is still some functioning that is a benefit to you um, with retaining the ovaries. If you're someone who has a strong family history of ovarian cancer or breast cancer or things that may be more complicated, then yeah, you may not be that person to actually keep your ovaries in. But they do they have discovered that there are much more benefits to leaving them in than removing the ovaries. And the benefit is to bone health, um, cardiovascular health, and also actually the ovaries secrete testosterone up until the age of 60, which is important for um, sexual libido, which is something huge. Our patients come and complain about a lot. So those things are important. So a lot of times what we do is we talk to the patient and it's a shared decision making. Making uh, We don't say, okay, this is what has to be done because your age, nothing is that cut and dry in medicine. It's a shared decision making between us and the pa patient. We give them all the options, risk versus benefit, and then we make the decision together. But there is no benefit for keeping your fallopian tubes. None. If you're having a hysterectomy, make sure they take your fallopian tubes out because they have discovered that um, some forms of ovarian cancer may start in the fallopian tube. So make sure they, there's no point in them. Um, if you're having a hysterectomy, have them take them out. So if we remove your tubes with the uterus, we're actually decreasing the risk of ovarian cancer because a lot of the ovarian cancer does start in it. And you only need your tube as a gateway from your ovary to the uterus. You're not going to have the uterus anymore. So there's no reason to keep your tubes. So like Dr. Terry was saying, whenever we talk about total versus partial, we're just talking about the uterus and the cervix. So total is taking the uterus plus the cervix. Partial is cutting above your cervix and just taking your uterus. So we can do total and leave ovaries. We can do partial and leave ovaries. And we can do total and or partial and take ovaries. And so it doesn't matter what happens with the ovaries, it's the cervix and the uterus. And there's really no reason to leave your cervix once you take your uterus. It does not affect sexual activity, sexual function, anything that that's what they used to think. So most of the time I do total, I cut below the cervix and I take the cervix and the uterus. I have had patients who have been very adamant about leaving their cervix. And if the pap smear has always been negative, I have left it. But most of the time, I'm doing total. Um, I do get I get it every once in a while. How often do you get it where the patient wants to keep the cervix? I, I get it every now and then. And when I tell those patients, too, is that you still, if you keep your cervix, you still have to make sure you're getting your pap smears um, because your cervix is still there. And that is where cervical cancer is located. So if you leave it in, make sure you continue to get your pap smears. Um, I am, um, one of the things that I also tell people is that know what they took out. Yeah. Because I have a lot of times that they don't know they have no what idea. they took out. They don't know if they took out their ovaries, if they left the ovaries, if they took out one ovary and there's, they don't know. So make sure you know. And ideally, I give all of my patients their, their pathology report, which is what shows what I actually took out. I actually give it to them. 
So they have a record of what was actually removed. Um, so that's just important for your own health to know exactly what was removed. If I do it, when I do a total laparoscopic, so I do most, I'd probably say 95% or more of my hysterectomies robotically or laparoscopically because the, re the recovery time is a lot quicker. Um, I'd probably say 85, 90% of my, of my patients go home the same day. Some of them stay overnight, but most of them go home the same day. I always tell people when you are having your cervix removed, you cannot have intercourse. I tell them three months. Some people may tell them differently. I want to make sure that that vagina is completely healed before anything else is going up in there. So just be prepared <laughs> and tell your partner to be prepared. You can do other things, but don't put up anything in, in the vagina until it's completely healed. Until you've gone back to see your physician and they've looked at the vagina to make sure it is healed. So I have had people who have retained their cervix for that reason. But mm -hmm. that's usually one of the biggest reasons that they have kept their cervix. For 12 weeks? Okay. I do. I tell them 12 weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason they keep because they can't wait for 12 weeks. Yep. <laughs> and that's okay. You just, you know, it, it is options. I'm going to give you all of your options and your choices, and we will make an informed decision together. Mm -hmm. But that that is one of the reasons that I've had people keep their service. My the main reason I remember I had this older patient. She had um, her husband had died years ago. She had just become sexually active, um, and someone had told her that. So she was not taking any chances, no matter what I told her <laughs> in her life. And that was the end. So, and she said that she was almost done having paps anyway. So she was okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you have to respect what they and they just you give them the information then like you said it's shared decision so we have to respect what they want yes yes and i have had older patients i've, I've had made not very many but i've had some who want to keep their their uterus they have fibroids they have maybe pain or they have bleeding but they're older but they, and they don't want any more kids, but they want to take their uterus with them mm -hmm. when their journey on earth is over. And so <laughs> I have done a couple of patients for that. I tell them risk associated with it because just removing just the fibroids does have a increased risk of more bleeding. Um, but, you know, we've made that decision together. I'm not going to force you. <laughs> to have a hysterectomy but i have had some people who it's it that's how they were born yeah. and they want to take it with it same here yeah same here. So, so, so you have to respect what they want yes <laughs> and whoever your doctor is it should always be a conversation yeah it shouldn't be one-sided if you have questions make sure you get all your questions answered um i've even had patients bring their spouse or a family member with them um, just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm.
but ask your questions. Make sure you ask your questions and know what you have removed. <laughs> Be very explicit. Make us explain it to, uh, to you so that yes. you understand. If you don't understand, do not leave the office. Yes. There's something else. Have you heard of the focused ultrasound? Um, like they use these high intensity waves. Um, the only you can either use an ultrasound or an MR, right? But the I've only seen, one I've heard of it. It's been out for a while, but it's never really kind of. I think the cost is expensive. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think it really ever caught on. Okay. Um, but yes, I have. I have heard of it. Now that may change. Um, because there's always new technology that is coming out to improve the lives. But, you know, 20, 30 years ago, hysterectomy was what you had if you had fibroids. And that was it. You had your uterus removed and you moved on with your life. There's so many different options now. So if you're going in to see your doctor and the only option they have for you is a hysterectomy, I would suggest to just, just get a second opinion. Yeah, at least a second opinion. Yeah, that may be the best choice for you, but mm -hmm. you wanna know what all your options are. So that's fibroids. Do you guys have any questions at all? Oh God, I can't read that, hold on. Are all fibroids located in the uterus or can they be located elsewhere? The fibroids come from an overgrowth of the outside lining, the muscular layer of the uterus, and it starts there, but it can start there and just kind of hang out on the outside of the uterus, go in the wall of the uterus, or be in the cavity of the uterus, but it starts at the uterus. It's not going to be made uh, like endometriosis. It can just be somewhere else. It's a fibroid is associated with the uterus. It's not going to be on the bladder without being associated with the uterus. Although I have seen them in the cervix, though. I have seen them in the cervix. Yeah. And actually, I just thought of this case I had as a resident. There was a mass in the labia and we removed it and it said it was made of the um, same material. So that's the have you seen any? I I I have. Um, it's it's pretty rare that it's somewhere else, but they don't know how. But sometimes it can be located in, an, in another location. But mm -hmm. it's usually somewhere in the vicinity of where the uterus and cervix is. Mm -hmm. Usually. And I would probably say 99.5% are going to be in the uterus and the cervix. Interesting. I just thought about that when I was talking. Yeah. Any more questions? Good afternoon, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hey, you know, I don't have my glasses on. I can't. Kim Grice said, hi, good afternoon. Hi, Kim. Second Kim. <laughs> hi, Donna. Hi. So even if you guys have questions later, you can definitely submit them and we'll answer them as well. But this is just something because fibroids are so common. Um, it, it is, it, it's, 
it's really common. So don't freak out if someone says to you, you have fibroids, because most people do, whether they know they have it or not. It may be very small. It may not bother them. It may not have any, but it's pretty common. But if you're starting to have symptoms, if you are um, starting to have things that are bothering you or you're trying to conceive and you know that you have a fibroid, those are things that you just should have evaluated. No, not all of them have to be treated. But for certain instances, especially if you're having pain, if you're having pressure, if you're having bladder frequency, if you're having constipation and it's bothering you, it, there are things that can be done. And the first choice is not always a hysterectomy. There are other options that are, that are out now, um, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. Um, but, um, oh, we didn't, we didn't talk about Lupron. Oh, so that is another. Th- th- once again, there's a lot of options. Most people, so Lupron is an injection. It's a shot um, that you get, and it will shrink the fibroids. So, pluses and minuses of Lupron. Lupron can make you feel as if you are going through menopause. So you may have hot flashes. You may have mood irritability. Um, we usually will give another hormone called progesterone with it that may decrease some of the symptoms. But with Lupron, it's not a permanent treatment. Most people will do the injections of Lupron to shrink the fibroids enough that a uterus that was so large that you couldn't do it laparoscopic or vaginally and remove a hysterectomy, you shrink the fibroids enough so now you make it a less invasive procedure. Um, you can also do it for people who are close to menopause. So you're not quite there. You don't want a hysterectomy. You don't want to have surgery. Um, it'll control your bleeding until you get to a point where you've actually entered into menopause. So see, there's there's a plethora of, <laughs> of options. So you just have to make sure... Um, can you treat fibroids with herbs? So I don't know which. So I think what happens is that when people are doing herbs, a lot of times they will actually change their diet. Mm-hmm. And when you're changing your diet, a lot of times just decreasing the fat, the sugar, the carbs, those things will help decrease probably some of the estrogen production, which will in turn decrease the size of the fibroids. And so have, are there some herbs? There might be. Do you, yeah. do you know of any? Patients, and I think just for the reasons you said, Dr. Terry, they told me that they had these herbs. They went to this health food stores, health food store, and they felt like their symptoms are a lot better. For the, I think it's for the exact same reason. And if they're happy with it and it's working, right. definitely. I don't say, oh, no, it can't be working. You right. need to get this done. If it's working for you, and especially if it's making you feel like you're more healthy, definitely I'm okay with it. Just make sure you're not taking multiple things because some of those herbs can actually stimulate estrogen. And so you just have to be careful with what you are taking. There's even things over the counter, um, like different products that they have kind of like advertised about decreasing some of the symptoms. 
boric acid suppositories. So I use, so I recommend it for people who have recurrent BV or they're trying to balance their pH, not necessarily for fibroids. Um, So I recommend boric acid on a regular basis for people who are trying to just balance their pH if they keep having reoccurring overgrowth of bacteria. Same. I do the exact same. Yeah. But, but I don't use it for, for fibroids, for heavy bleeding. Hi, Gwendolyn Jones. Hi. Hi, Valerie. <laughs> Apparently, I need to wear my glasses when I'm doing this. My keyboard is... Oh, thanks, Kim. Thank you. <laughs> and so if you can send in some more topics. So I've heard of the Yoni Pearls as well. Yeah, I, I, I honestly can't give you a recommendation one way or another. I, I don't know. Um, have you had any experience with it, Dr. White? I, I have heard of it um, and I have not had any experience, so I don't know. I'm not saying it doesn't. I just, I don't know. There's a lot of things that that people come out with. Like I said, you just have to kind of make sure you're doing um, your due diligence with researching what it is and to make sure, most importantly, it's not something that's going to harm you. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest things um, is just make sure that there's no harm that's going to come to you. But but once again, I have have heard of them. I've seen some of my patients who said they work, and I've seen some that was like, no, they don't. Yeah. So, so I really can't give a, a, a really good um, recommendation for the Yoni Pearls. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your weekend. Be careful out there. Bye-bye. Bye.